This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is... You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest. Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. I'm Chris Hambling and I am your slightly croaky host for the show as we look back at a hugely satisfying win against South Coast Minnows Bright. I'll introduce my panel in just a moment. Reviews, predictions, comments and rants. Send us your voice clips on WhatsApp. 0203 575 1266. Anyway, I am joined by three people today, which is good because I'm not sure how long my voice is going to last. And the first of those is Mike Scott. Hello, Mike. Hello. How are you doing? Doesn't you know sound how that I great. am. Yeah. 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 Oh dear, it was an interesting, uh, interesting experience yesterday. Um, went to Brighton. You were you were with me, as was. Um, it, let's you know. Let's get the intros out of the way before we get into that. Actually, um, another person who was with us was Mr. Dr. Kerners. Hello, Dr. Hello. 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 You sneaked off home and don't have a hangover because you don't drink, which is unacceptable. Uh, but, you know, we'll get into talking about our, our day fairly shortly. And uh, Cy, Cy Pizzi's with us as well. Um, you didn't come with us, obviously. Um, so you probably sound a little bit brighter and more cheerful. I'm a little bit brighter and more cheerful. I feel like Jairo Riedeveld. I haven't been around for a while and I've been on, on two weeks in a row. So I'm back in. There you go. Uh, and you've also got uh, the same haircut as well, yeah, which is nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about, because, you know, obviously we all experienced the game um, at, at the Amex and everything that goes along with that. How did, uh, how was it watching at home? It was, yeah, it, it was it was good to watch at home. Nerve wracking. I, I hate watching it on TV, to be honest. I might prefer being there. But having to listen, the worst bit was having to listen to Martin Keown for 90 minutes to 100 minutes. His awful uh, you know what appeared to me biased uh, commentary was annoying, um, but other than that, it was uh, good to watch. Yeah, I heard Terence was saying he watched the uh, recording. I haven't um, got BT Sports, so I haven't didn't record it. I haven't seen it back, so um, I haven't experienced the joy of Martin Keown. But I've heard he was problematic to say the very least. Uh, Mike Dr. So obviously, we're going to talk a little bit later on about some of the the incidents and things that happened around our trip and also general things that happened during the course of the game. 
as our kind of final topic of the of the show, I believe. But let's tease it a little bit, you know. Um, Mike, what are you going to be? So you know, some of your highlights. Do you think? I'll give you my low light first. So knowing because I, I only spend about half my time up in in South London. I, I live down on the coast these days because it's cheap. Um, but there was a rail replacement bus service. Um, so I, I, I did the right thing, left a bit earlier than everyone else, sort of about half ten. Uh, got on the train, uh, drifted off, just as we were pulling out of Brighton. And some hour and a half later, I woke up to find that we were just coming back into Brighton again. Um, so that was great. Uh, and the, the, guard, the guard was like, um, haven't I seen you before? He's like, you've fallen asleep, haven't you? Like, yeah. Uh, Where do you need to go? Hastings. Uh, yeah, I think you've missed the last bus. I was like, fuck. <laughs> but um, he, he was, in fact, just winding me up. Uh, so I did manage to get home at about 2.30 in the morning. That is incredible. And news to me, so that is, that's just spectacular work. DR, you know, you didn't get the joy of, of what went on after the game because you scarped off pretty quickly. But, you know, I will say... Your celebrations um, at uh, a particular moment, you got a little excited, didn't you? I'm just laughing at your voice because <laughs> you oh, actually sound mature. But um, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, the celebrations were brilliant. It was my first actual Brighton away game. Um, thankfully, um, managed to get into the ground after getting checked around four to five times, which was a bit over the top. I mean, what can I sneak in two seconds after checking me? But the whole experience was great. The only thing, I'll, I'll be real with you, the only thing that was a bit disappointing at the ground, but apparently this happens often, is the atmosphere wasn't quite at it. I mean, at the start, I think as the game went on, it did improve. But the fact that we were playing Brighton away and I've been to many away games and it just it just didn't feel like the special occasion in the stands. I mean, pre-game, it was brilliant. But just during the game, it just felt so weird. I mean, Brighton lot, they're awful anyways. But us lot, I just expected a bit better but I mean that was perks of the game but after we scored a goal that's from then on I just it was just absolutely brilliant but before that I mean we could have done a bit better but it was a great day out yeah actually I was going to talk about it later we might as well talk about it now since you bring it up and you're absolutely right I mean that I can remember the the 3-1 the first time we played there and and beat them you know especially when we went 1-0 down it, everyone was just too tense before the game loud as you like all sorts going on at the Weatherspoons in West Street it was just you know absolute carnage before the game and the carnage later on was incredible but only after the, the tension got broken by by a couple you know well, the first goal uh, the equaliser and then as we went on to win it was just absolutely incredible it's just you do get that you do the tension just gets to people and you know we were obviously singing along which is why my voice is quite this bad Although I think it was mainly the screaming during the goal that probably did for me, um, but you, you just do that. I just I can I can remember we just that three one we were sort of shouting for people to sing up. We couldn't understand why even the most basic of songs where everyone knows knows the words and people who clearly must have you know a strong you know record of following Palace home and away to get tickets for that game, um, but they just I think the tension's just too much. The sound from the TV though was was awesome. That, you know, especially about thirty minutes in onwards. And in fact, Peter Crouch, uh, one of the BT pundits, was in the middle of um, looked like the Buck Brighton and, and us. And he said, obviously, after we scored, he actually referenced how good the fans were and and sort of made a joke about us giving it to the Brighton fans for at least twenty to twenty to thirty minutes in the second half, which was quite good to hear. 
it's weird, but this game, I actually did want Zaha to start a fight. Normally, I'm like, come on, Wilf, don't do that, don't do that. But not only Wilf, but just everyone else. Because I just feel like on the pitch, we saw it after the crying thing that Brighton sub did, which was just outrageous and because he's a substitute and he's talking big to a player who's on the pitch. Um, but after that happened, you could see the crowd start getting into it. And I feel like small things like that could up the crowd. And I, that's why I think that's why... The atmosphere did improve as the game went on, but we got a result, so who cares? No, you're absolutely right. You, so, you do need that spark on the pitch, and it doesn't have to be a goal. It can be a you know rough tackle. And let's face it, DR, every four or five seconds, you were shouting at someone to put a challenge in or break someone's legs. Um, you, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, there you go. Anyway, let's um, wrap up the usual admin. So first up, um, shout out for our sponsors, um, Pitch Sport Football. Uh, download their app. Just Google them. Jump to their web, jump on the website. Download their app and, and sort of join the fun with us. We're all on there. Use it to predict teams, suggest lineups, predict results, and uh, and there's obviously Dr. You do uh, a video question and replies on there as well. Yeah, I do. Um, but this week, uh, as I was ill, you saw it at the game. I was ill as well, just coughing up the place. Um, I couldn't actually record a video because I couldn't speak uh, when the video needed to be recorded uh, because my throat was burning. So yeah, this week there wasn't a there wasn't a video. But I mean, if you want to come up with a question, we can do that right now because that's how professional we are. Nah. Okay, <laughs> but do do get registered. And that's really simple app. Uh, that the guys also do a podcast, a general uh, football, mainly Premier League focused podcast as well. Uh, it's good stuff. John Salako's on there um, with Paul Schofield. Uh, some, always some good chat on there, and they get fans on regularly. I was on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, enjoyed it immensely, uh, and also getting involved in sponsoring things. They sponsored an event with Gaza this week, which looks very interesting. Looking forward to the content from that. So do check them out. Um, also, socials, um, get in touch with us. Instagram is at Back of the Nest CPFC. Twitter, at Back of the Nest. Facebook, Back of the Nest. YouTube, Back of the Nest. Uh, you can always email us if you're you know in the future. Um, that's hi at backofthenest.com. Uh, and don't forget the uh, your podcast app reviews, iTunes pod, podcast. What was it called? <laughs> I've forgotten them all. <laughs> Apple Podcast. Yeah, and there's also another, there are some others that I've just completely blanked on. Yeah, we're on Spotify. You're quite right. Yeah, but get reviewing five stars, please, because then that way people will pick up the show, and we'll get more listeners. And that's all we want from you. That's all we ever ask. And um, finally, as a couple of people have done this week, you can also get in touch and leave us some WhatsApp voice messages. Uh, our contact number for WhatsApp is o two o three five seven five one two six six. Reviews, predictions, comments and rants. Send us your voice clips on WhatsApp. 0203 575 1266. Okay, breaks forward. He's got Ayu to his right. He's found Ayu with a chance! And it's in! The goalkeeper got a touch, but couldn't keep it out. And it's Jordan Ayu who's broken the deadlock with 20 minutes to go in front of those Palace supporters who've gone crazy. Absolutely crazy. It's a lovely little ball fed through by Venteke. And Ayu did just enough. It was strapped by the goalkeeper, but he could not stop it from rolling over the line. And Palace lead of the Amex. Brighton nil. Crystal Palace won. Always love the commentary from BBC Sport. Absolutely incredible stuff. And um, beautifully captures the, the sort of the power of the emotion there. You can hear the Palace fans, us included in the background, going absolutely insane limbs as they say but you know proper unforced limbs it was just um 
it as an incredible moment. I think the longest I've celebrated for quite some time, and just the screaming, I promise you, that's what did this to my voice. It's just ridiculous. Um, but what, what a great moment. And um, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that goal, how it how it came about, and all the various different bits and pieces around it shortly. But let's take a little step back um, and talk a little bit about how we started that game. So, understandably, Roy goes with the the same lineup as Newcastle. Lucas only really fit for the bench, and obviously, we found out a little bit later on that he was only had well, he didn't even have forty five minutes in the legs. So we saw. Um, Gyro Riedeveld uh, come on, which we'll talk about in just a sec. But just a question for for the panel, really. Um, given that we played the exact same lineup as Newcastle, it was really notable that in that Newcastle game that we pressed high up the pitch very early on. We started with a real intensity, didn't give them a, a second of space. But in this game, it didn't really seem that way. So I'm wondering whether you feel that's because of the opposition or maybe a, a different approach from Roy Hodgson. Uh, I think he saw me in the stands. I mean, I wasn't at the Newcastle game and he decided, let's go out and attack and have lots of shots on target. But then he saw me at Brighton away. He's like, all right, let's start slow again. Um, no, that's not the reason. But I think, it, it, as you said, it's a Brighton. Um, it's Brighton away and we saw at home. I don't think it's, well, I can't really blame him because we've got a result. But technically, I don't think we should have started like that. But it is understandable because the way that Brighton played. Brighton love keeping the ball. They have got pace up there uh, with more pay. So Roy clearly sees that and he, he he would rather just go sit back, let Brighton play about. And it did work out in a way because you saw it, Brighton were keeping the ball, but what were they? They did create chances, but they also had lots of misplaced passes, which I noticed. I don't know the official stats about it, but we forced them to do that by just sitting back. And I feel like Roy just wanted to keep it simple because we're away from home and the way that they play. And overall, it did work out well. But of course, I think some fans would have liked us to go at them a bit more. But Hugh, can you read moan if we get the results? I don't think so. Whilst I think we were a lot more defensive-minded than we were against Newcastle, it probably was because DR wasn't there. But um, well, I, if you look at the stats and if you look at the match of the day analysis from Shearer, we did actually defend a lot higher up the pitch and we pressed um, Brighton a lot higher up the pitch because of the fact that they like to play it around the back was something they actually picked out on match of the day and I think you could definitely tell we did press them higher even though we were a bit more defensive. Yeah, I just think we certainly, you're right, a bit more defensive, a little bit more passive at times but not to the to the degree that we've moaned about before. You know, this is not really a criticism, just an observation of a, a slight change of approach. But you know, I do think you know, as I as I hinted at when I was asking the question, really, that we have we have to take the opposition into account, and they do play possession based football, um, and they do use the wings. Uh, it's interesting hearing Potter talk after the game about what he felt was was the way to deal with Palace in the fact that we're very narrow and we we fill in that space. So they thought the best way to deal with that was to really get the ball wide and attack down the flanks, and they and they did that a lot. And, and as rightly observed, not always to a tremendous effect. I mean, I, I feel that slow start is a little harsh because the early chances, the the, the Cuarte one, for example, um, kind of fell to us. And it was a little while before um, Brighton um, started you know, getting the shots in. I know that it was the most shots they had in any game um, in the Premier League this season, but they didn't start off creating that much they just had a ton of possession um, which I'm pretty sure that Hodgson would have been absolutely happy with 
Um, and and it's hard to compare them in Newcastle because Newcastle were absolutely bollocks. <laughs> very, very, very true. Um, no, it's a, it's a good point. And, I, you know, yes, you're right. Perhaps a slow start is a little harsh, but it wasn't a great first half. I think all of us said that at, at half time that, you know, I think, I think me, me and Chris Clark spent probably most of the first half talking about anything other than football as DR gave me stick for during the game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I was just listening. And I was like, what earth is going on? Am I at a bar? Am I watching? Like, oh, it's so confusing. <laughs> but I don't blame you because saying a slow start, I feel like when you look at their chances, Mike said they didn't have, they had some very good chances as well. I mean, the solid March one, nine times out of 10, it's harder, it's harder to miss that. I don't know how he actually missed that, but... I mean, on another day, if they took their chances, just like what we what happened at home in the first half when we faced them, absolutely dominated us. And I don't think it was the same um, when we faced them at their ground um, yesterday or the day before. depends on when you're listening. Um, but they still did have the possession and they still did create chances. But as I said, I feel like our tactics helped us. Yeah, look, the early chances. I mean, obviously, we got a very, very early one, which Benteke did horribly with. Um which I didn't look that bad from the stadium, but having seen it back, um, I think his his foot seemed to have been put on incorrectly. Uh, and the Coyote chance just delayed that a little bit too long and Ryan got out to smother it. But, you know, those were the sort of two clear-cut chances early on and then it just settled into that rhythm, that routine of us. You know, we a lot of the time we had all of our players in our own half. You know, and, you, and I think that built the sort of frustration because as you rightly talked about, the, the the tension was there in the crowd. There wasn't a great atmosphere. You were, everyone's looking at each other and thinking, you know, this is bright in a way. We, something more should be happening. Um, and that was just our experience of, of that first half. And obviously we know how it turned out. And when you look back at it, given how it turned out, it feels like absolutely the right choice. And, I, you know, who am I to say any different? Uh, our expected goals were apparently slightly higher than theirs, which is incredible considering they had 24 shots. Um, and I think a lot of the problems, their crowd being quiet, is probably the fact that they haven't really scored many goals. And, and the last thing they wanted was another game of of, of not of not scoring um, or, or ruining the chances that they created. Um, but I think that brings us nicely on to uh, our man of the match poll. Um and I'll come on to why in a second. Um, so someone kindly put on Twitter, I'm not sure which one of you it was, um, who was man of the match? Yeah, excellent. Dan, Benteke, Cahill or Morpai? Um, and <laughs> more than the Sully March uh, miss, the fact that he stopped his own player from scoring was <laughs> just absolutely incredible. I think it wasn't, didn't um, Glenn Murray, uh, I think, uh, at Sellers last season, managed to stop a goal with his ass as well. Like, On the line. They've obviously got previous for this. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's great that they have all these chances and they just can't put them away. And hopefully that will mean that the other teams around them can keep getting points and they can bugger off back down to the championship absolutely right as we kept saying to them after the game repeatedly in a variety of ways but um you know that you know i put i put more pay in there just for that reason he missed so many chances just shooting straight at the keeper and but the the block from dunk was just beautiful especially as they were already celebrating and you know of all the players you just don't want to score against us it's obviously lewis dunk as well so that that was a truly beautiful moment in a game that had several um I want to talk a little bit about um, James McCarthy before we start getting into some general viewing kind of stuff. Uh, these are my kind of key points at the top. So McCarthy went off at half time uh, with Gyro coming on. I just want your views, gents, on first of all how you felt McCarthy was playing, given that 
he's cut he's got the shirt over Luca at the moment. Uh, unfortunate to to get a slight pull on the hamstring. Apparently was keen to try it in the second half, but they didn't want to take a risk, so maybe not that serious. So I suppose first of all, how did how do you think McCarthy got on in that first half? I haven't asked anyone in particular, so I'm just going to pick on Sai. I thought he was really solid, and the more I see of him, the more I like. I think he's getting back to match fitness, and we have to remember that he's not played for a very long time and, and, and for this number of games. But I love his sort of doggedness, his determination, his sort of evident passion. But I also think uh, he's actually got a quality pass and a, and a quality set piece on him. So I think if he carries on like this, he's been a right bargain. I, yeah, go on. yeah, I just want to talk about, um, now that we talk about McCarthy, I just want to talk about Jared Reederwood. I mean, he came on yesterday and from what I saw at the stadium alone, I thought he had an absolutely fantastic performance in midfield and that's where he should be playing in the future. Yes, he's done good at left-back um, and it helps that he can play left-back. But with his technical abilities, he deserves that Luca role. And this might trigger some fans, but I don't think Luca should be starting after that Everton away game because not just that game, but we've seen with Luca, he's had suspensions, he's had injuries, but every time he has returned, he hasn't still been the same Luca that we've had. And I was talking about you, I was talking about this with you, Chris, um, going to the game and you said, well, you look at the forward players and their runs, they could be better. Yeah, you have a point there. But with Jai Reedwood, you saw yesterday, he fitted in right, right in that role. And I feel like even if McCarthy's fit and even if Luca's fit, that should be a readable spot because this man, every time he comes in, he performs. And yet again, he still gets dropped for another player. And it's like, we're lower, we're trying to lower the average age of the squad. He's only 23. And I'm not saying he's going to be the best player in the Premier League, but he's got massive potential. So why don't we invest our time in him? Because he's not a bad footballer. He's a good footballer and he actually deserves a role. So why don't we let him play? Because yesterday another game where he showed what he's worth. Yeah, great, great points there, DR. Um, he's a real, he comes into his own when we've got a sort of back to back to the wall type performance. Um, obviously, we always talk about the nil-nil uh, Man City game. Um, but more than that, the fact that he's now played several roles um, has got to endear him to Hodgson because the first players he seems to love are the ones that he can stick in about seven different positions. So, if Jairo becomes the new Jeffrey Schlupp, then he's going to be in the, in the team on, in some position or other um, most games. I think there's a couple of points I want to make on that. So first of all, starting with Jairo. Um, I, I, some people, I was reading on the BBS earlier and some posts on Twitter as well, um, a few people saying that we he's one of those players that fans want to succeed. So they always overstate his worth and they always say he has a brilliant game when he has a decent game. And that we ignore the mistakes he made. And I sort of watched some of the highlights back to try and spot some of that because it wasn't overly evident at the ground. And I can see what they're talking about where he's made some tackles. He's gone to ground quite early and the, and the rebounds have unfortunately, one of them put obviously uh, more pay in for one of his misses. Um, but I, I think, you know, for me, he is a class player. And it kind of does highlight perhaps, you know, some agreement in terms of what you're saying, Dale, and what we were talking about before the game because, you know, he creates options and angles for passes he you know he's got a very very good range of passing on him and he's so calm in possession that he doesn't seem rattled when he's trying to look for an option whereas at times you know all, all of the sort of regular three if you like or regular four Kayate, two Maccas and Luca sometimes seem to get a little bit caught in possession and, and can't find an option for a pass but 
that kind of goes back to what I felt about the first half, and, and I and I tweeted it from the ground at half time that our movement at times is very very poor when we get possession of the ball, and part of that I think is because we we've, we've gone away from being that ultra speedy counter-attack inside under Roy. We still try to build attacks. We are capable of a counter-attack, particularly when we play direct to Benteke and get people in and around him. But it's a different kind of thing. We're not running with the ball for long periods of the game. We did much more of that in the second half um, when we got our, our confidence back, if you like. But So what I'm saying about Luca is quite often I feel that because he drops deep in that screening role and he's often taking the ball off of the defence or in a, on a very deep position, when he gets his head up and looks around for a pass, the passes are very, very few and far between. It's It tends to be move it out to the flanks. And if there's not movement after you make that initial pass, sometimes that ball just comes straight back to him and then they've cut off that angle and then he's got nothing. And I think he's really suffered from that. Uh, ever since really Kabai left, to be honest, there's never, you know, he always had that option of finding Johan Kabai who could receive the ball in any position and not panic and, you know, it kind of makes me think. I wonder how Luca would get on with Riedeveld alongside him. But there you go. Um, but yeah, I think we've we've covered a lot of ground on that one. A little bit on subs because I'm trying to pick things that, you know, maybe had had a little bit of uh, tension around them. And I think you know, half time obviously Gyro came on. The only other sub we used was was Jenk Tosin uh, with three minutes <laughs> plus injury time to go. A lot of people in the crowd weren't happy. And DR, I noticed you doing the, the wonderful sub gesture from the crowd like Roy could see it. Um, <laughs> why do that? But anyway, apart from that, um, you you thought, you know, we were sort of screaming out for a sub before the goal as well. So what did you make of that? Yeah, I mean, you look at Ben Tegger's performance yesterday. It's, it's a bit of a weird one because some people are saying he's had a good performance. Some people are saying he could have done a bit better. But my where I stand on it, I feel like he... I mean, he he done he he did the basics and that was pretty much it in front of goal. He wasn't that effective. And for that reason, I feel like as the game went on and on, you could see that he was tiring out a bit. And I just I just didn't understand the reason for keeping on Ben Teke for that long and not bringing on Tosin because we saw what happened last game for, against Newcastle when Tosin came on. He Yeah, he might not be that clinical striker right now, but he has helped us defensively. And sometimes you just need a player out there with energy. And yeah, I mean, I thought that we should have made a substitution around the 75th or 80th minute mark because you could see that certain players were getting tired, especially Ben Teke. It worked out in the end, but there will be a time which it will cost us and and we'll end up actually blaming the player, whereas it's not really the player's fault. We need to make sure, we've talked about this before, game management. Just do the subs a bit earlier. That's it, Roy. Um, that's that's the only real negative out of it because another day, it, will, it could have cost us and it shouldn't have. I have to disagree with DR on this one because I thought Ben Teke was class. Apart from his, his you know, that they couldn't hit water who fell out of a boat moment right at the beginning of the match, I thought his hold-up play, his link-up play with other players... And they kept referencing that throughout the game on the commentary, saying, okay, he hasn't got much in front of goal. But actually, the importance to, to us of, of Benteke playing how he is in terms of building everything from him, I thought he, I thought he was very strong yesterday. Can we bring in a bit of listener contact on the subject of Tekkers then? Uh, so Lucy, formerly of this parish, um, just put Benteke, we're better with him in the team, discuss. And then Peter Windsor, um, he's... Big Ben reinventing himself as a number 10. 
Um, and that's exactly what I was thinking during the game. Um, okay, he missed some absolute sitters and it was very annoying. Um, but he he was the pinnacle for um, getting balls up quickly uh, on the counter-attack, holding up. Obviously, his ball through to IE for the goal was incredible. Um, and he could well be a number 10 because... There's no point in him having the ball in front of goal because he's not going to score. But he he is he's doing the job um, of holding up the ball on counter-attacks, which seems to be very effective. On top of that, he, defensively yesterday, he was absolutely incredible. Um, he just he just seemed to make make me a lot more stressed because they had a lot of corners, a lot of set pieces, and he was there next to Guaita and he, he just did his job. I think... So, I mean, I don't necessarily, I don't go along with the whole number 10 argument, but I see what people are saying about him, his hold-up play. But I think he's always had that, um, apart from when he's been very, very low on confidence and we've not really used him in the right way. I think we were we were a little bit more direct um, and similar against Newcastle as well. We were much better in terms of trying to play a little bit more to his strength. So get the ball up for him to, you know, to either head on or control the chest and try and bring other people into play. But the thing he added, because his confidence has lifted over the last couple of weeks, probably since getting the goal against Everton, really, is that, you know, you saw him turn and run with the ball and, and you know, take players on and be positive. Um, you know, the movement is better than it was. At his absolute worst, the movement just went to pieces and he wasn't in the right positions in the box. So nobody bothered to put the ball in the box for him. Um, and obviously, when the chances come, he's just not had consistent chances to, to kind of build any kind of rhythm. And he's still probably suffering with that, if, we, if we're completely honest. But hold-up play is, is excellent. The key for that is getting people in and around him. And it really lifts people like Ayu and Zaha when they have someone like that on his game. And it makes a big difference. And I think, as well, you can't underestimate the effect of bringing in Chunk Tosin to, to push him for that place as well. And I think the two of them really need, for the rest of the season, battling out for that that position at the top of the, the attack. Just bodes well for us. I really do think that. I think in the future, I'll, I'll, now that Jordan, well, Jordan Ayew has been scoring goals, but I want to see I want to see Jordan Ayew play more narrow and close to Benteke because we've been talking about his hold-up play recently and how he's been good and he has been involved in other players. But imagine if Jordan Ayew was more narrow in the pitch and next to Benteke rather than out wide and you had a player like Andros Townsend there and you had basically a front three or four, how, however you want to see it, of Wilfred Zaha, Benteke, Ayew and Townsend. That sounds lethal to me, especially the way that Benteke is playing right now. I don't think he can be a number 10 because of his built. Like, I don't, I don't think he's got the... I don't, not the abilities, but he's just he's too he's too slow for number ten in my opinion. Not that he's a slow footballer, but it's just his footwork. I don't think he's got the number ten um, style footwork. But in the future, I want to see that happen. Jordan Ayew playing closer to Benteke because he can give the ball to him, as we've seen, and I feel like like that we could create more chances and possibly score even more goals. I just want while you're talking about Ayew, bring up the best tweet of the weekend, which was from the Ghanaian prince himself, and it simply said. Great day at the seaside with my friends. Thank you for the amazing support. Now, how good is that? Nice, um, listen to his interview afterwards, just smiling, happy. What a man! What a man! I mean, he's, he's you know the turnaround in in IU is incredible, um, rightly revered. But it just shows the value of confidence, doesn't it? We talk about it a lot on this show. It, it's a regular theme, but it's so true that it's probably the the most important thing in football if you want your team to be playing well putting good runs together and and you know all the little things that go on in a game 
they're just better with a with a confident team. And you think as well how often Ayu, Benteke and Zaha have played together. It's not actually that often. And we're really seeing the, the, the value in a you know a run of games for them together and they're starting to build understanding. I mean that you, you think even a month, two months ago maybe, the likelihood of Benteke picking the ball up you know, moving through a couple of players, running at goal at pace, and then having the wherewithal to slide that ball in perfectly for Ayu. You just think there's no way that would have happened. But, you know, that little, what, 5 or 10% more positivity and, and and belief, and those things start happening. And it's it's great that it happened against Brighton. It really is. And as I was, my last point really was what a difference a goal makes. And that was because of how I was feeling at half time And how the you know in the second half before we scored it we'd started to come under a little bit of pressure again, and you're kind of thinking we'll be lucky to get away with a nil nil here because we'd dropped so deep at one point. I, I think I turned to Dr and said that I don't want to say this too loudly, but whenever we drop this deep in a game, you know a, a goal for the opposition is coming and it it is it's really is coming, but we managed to get it, and uh, yeah, the clouds lifted and, and and ended up being a wonderful day. Anyway, so a little bit of reaction from us. Let's get some reaction from our WhatsApp voice messages. First up is Darren. Evening, back at the nest. How are we doing? Darren here. Um, taking a while to reflect um, on the second half of the game. I thought we played very well. I thought we kept, to a certain point, some composure. I think we let it go a little bit, even there. Um we had some good opportunities. Um, Benteke looks a bit more confident. I mean, the miss in the first half, <clears throat> he should have gone with his head, not his foot, but what can you do? But um, overall, to be fair, taking everything into consideration, three points is three points at this stage of the season. I'm not really too fussed how it comes. You know, we know we're not going to get exciting football from Roy and we know we're going to get the same old results. We're not going to get five, six, seven goal throwers, but we're going to get the points we need. Um, And fingers crossed we can do something about it in the summer. Well, I mean, first up, come on, Darren, mate, we beat Brighton. (laughs) I think he, he he sounded tired. Um, or he was having to speak very, very quietly because um, he was, you know, maybe recording that message somewhere. He shouldn't have been. Um, but some interesting points in there. Mike, you want to jump in though? Go on. Yeah, just on, on a similar uh, subject of somebody that doesn't sound too impressed by it, uh, AM Eagle uh, said, don't get carried away. Newcastle and Brighton are very poor sides that offer little. So, uh, so you can't please everyone, can you? <laughs> no, no. But I think you know Darren was mentioning some positive points in there as well, and and he is absolutely right in the sense that you know we are we were basically thirty six points now. Even Roy after the game was saying, you know, we're not the way we are, the way we play, the players we have, we're not going to throw it away now. So you know, it's Premier League football next season more than likely. We can't say for definite until mathematically it's. It's certain, but it'd be very hard for taking 10 games for the sides below us to, to overtake us, three sides to overtake us, that is. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of truth in what's said there. But, you know, you've, you've got to also enjoy beating Brighton. And yes, Newcastle were very poor, but other than not being out of finish, Brighton weren't poor. Uh, and we played them very well. You know, we did restrict them to mostly chances further out, you know, they they had they should have scored you know a, a couple of goals if we're completely honest but 
you know, we we had a, a couple of really important chances. Cahill uh, headed down and it bounced over the bar. That looked like a certain goal. Obviously, Zaha hitting the post later on. Um, so arguably, you could say we should have scored three. So, it, it, you know, it doesn't really pan out that way. Um, but, you know, there's a lot in there. Obviously, mentioned the Benteke miss, which we've talked about already. Um, so, uh, you know, definite an improvement in the second half. Um, I think it's probably the key point from, from Darren. It was a better second half. We had moments where we weren't great. But in general, once that belief we just talked about was there, it was it was you know, it was a really good game to watch, um, which it certainly wasn't in the first half. So a little bit more analysis now before we get to the next clip. Um, so get into a bit more of the detail. Um, very, very uh, clear that we were focusing on the left flank. Um, we do that quite a lot anyway, but it was 58% of our attacking play went down the left side of the pitch. Um, and Wilf wasn't always on the left. In fact, he started out on the right and him and IU exchanged positions a few times, but... I want to jump to the using the um, who scored website and look at the um, sort of average positions. It's really interesting to see the average positions of our front three were all on the left hand side of the pitch. Um, I think part of that is because Zaha and Ayu exchanged positions quite a lot, so Ayu's position was kind of dragged across from the right hand side. So it's a little bit of a, of a false picture when you look at the image itself, but. In general, it was, um, you know, even the central midfield drifted over there. And it, 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 we'll talk about the defensive problems that that gave us. But from an attacking sense, um, it really did put that pressure on Brighton when we did get the ball um, and, and just created that little bit of danger, that little bit of panic and, and made them think a little bit about their shape. So it was a, it was a clear tactic and one we've seen before, but um, better executed in the second half without a doubt. As much as, much as I hate the sort of, uh, pundit loving with the way Brighton play and it's, it's been a bit sick provoking to be honest the last few months but I have to admit Montoya and Byrne on both the right and left defensive flanks played really really well and they actually managed I thought Ayu and Zaha's threat very very well throughout most of the game and you know I mean Byrne particularly he's like a seven foot giant but it can also run as quick as Zaha it was ridiculous but I, I thought they both we gave them a tough time but they did to be fair did a really good job I don't think it's a coincidence and honestly that we played down the left-hand side. It's obvious tactics because you look at how we play, it's not really the midfielders that help us going forward. It's more the left-back or the right-back. And you look at our left-back, uh, Patrick Van Aanholt, compared to our right-back, Joel Ward. I mean, both Jordan Ayew and Wilfred Zaha can do it in, in either flank, so that's not the problem. But can Joel Ward do it going forward as good as Patrick Van Aanholt? Not really. And we saw it yesterday. I mean, imagine if Joel Ward did go as, as much forward as Van Aanholt, then that would have been a scary experience because even though he didn't, he still got exposed. So I think it made sense tactically to focus on the left-hand side because we had that Patrick Van Aanholt's pace and his ability his abilities going forward. And like that, I think it helped improve our chances of creating more chances with also uh, minimising the risks of conceding a goal from the flanks because uh, Patrick Van Aanholt is a faster player than Joel Ward and he can recover um, whereas Joel Ward I don't think Roy trusts him as much going forward and running back uh, throughout 90 minutes of the game Give um, Hodgson credit I think that Dan Byrne on, on, the, on their left hand side in defence is, is a really excellent defender plus the fact I think he, he, he probably for me was their best player I know Moy got man of the match not just for them but for, for every, you know 
throughout both teams, which is ridiculous. But um, you know, Dan Byrne was was excellent, so it, it made sense to go down the other side because it was just a, a weaker flank. I think interestingly, it also shows a, a, you know the different approach because I've talked a lot about when Zaha is double or, or triple marked. Why aren't we trying to get a few more bodies over on the other flank and taking advantage of that that space? But you know, it also it shows that you can do that, taking advantage a different way by getting more numbers on the left, and that's really what we did so well. And absolute credit to Roy for that because. You know they've they've noticed. You know it's just basically given Zaha some help. He found space in this game because they couldn't double and triple mark him, or if they did, we had two or three players around him to take advantage of it. And that's the other way to go than, than chucking some more players out on the right and switching play. And it worked extremely well. So I've got to hold my hands up there and say well done to the, the manager and staff. If we get, if we get a new right back in the summer, honestly, I feel like next season we'll score more goals. It sounds crazy, but. We saw with Andrew Townsend this season, wan left and he had something going forward. He had that pace. Um, I know that he's one in a million. We're not going to get someone like that from the academy. But if we get someone, even like Van Arnold, who on his day he can defend, but majority of times he's a better attacker rather than defender. Even if we get someone like that, we saw this season with Andrew Townsend, he's pretty much out of the picture right now, which is crazy after you're judging his previous couple of seasons. You never would have really thought that, but... I feel like the fullbacks are so, so significant in Roy's system that when you have someone like Joel Wood, and this is not criticism for Joel Wood because he we shouldn't put him in this position in the first place. He can't go forward and offer something up front and also track back. That's just not him. He's just a defender. At this day and age, in the Premier League, he's just a defender rather than a fullback. And I feel like that's why it's so important that in the summer, even though we should have got it before, but I'm not going to go into that topic. In the summer, it's so, so important that we get a right back, even if it's Nathan Ferguson, who can do both, we will create more chances and score more goals. Trust me. No, I think it will definitely give a better balance to the side and, and more threat down that side as well. Um, what's I think it's a good chance to to talk about Joel Ward and and one of the more interesting sort of tactical battles on the pitch. And um, so first up, it's worth saying that Joel Ward was was much much better in the second half and got better protection and and you know. By the end of the game, I think it was a it was a solid performance. But first half, he was so regularly caught out of position, and <laughs> Scott Dan was was livid with him so often. Um, was it you, Mike, who observed him shout to um, to Wardy that you know I you're the fucking right back, <laughs> not me? Yeah, he definitely did say that. Yeah, I'm no lip reader, but yeah. Um, but what I was trying to work out why it was because he kept getting caught out. And it's it's a really simple tactic. So, you know, you had more pay up top and Trussard was just playing off of him. And one or both of them kept drifting out left. And their sort of wide wide left player, if you like, that Wardy was getting close to. There's a wing back, really, isn't he, I suppose? Um, so Wardy would get caught way up on the halfway line, marking his man, if you like. And then there's a huge gap behind him. And they just kept running into that gap and playing long balls into it. And... You know, they got in down that side a couple of times and it, it just it exposed Joe Ward. And I think he tried to react by sort of following different players and quite often ended up in centre centre back position with Dan out wide right. And it was causing a lot of ten- tension between the two. Um, but it was something that was definitely dealt with at half time. And, and we, we sort of negated that threat by getting closer and 
to, to the people in possession, but just getting more numbers in and around there and the midfield doing a slightly better job of, of protecting Wardy. But he, you know, if you could have taken him off after 10 minutes, you probably would have done because he was getting run ragged that much. Um, but obviously we had no options on the bench for a right back. And, um, but I think credit really must go to the fact that he can, he can have a half like that and come out and just do a, a much better job without it. It's not affected him in any way. Didn't you know affect his confidence and belief and his attitude to the game, and that's what shines through with Joe Ward, our longest serving player and an absolute credit. And you know, it, it's to his credit that we haven't missed Wan Bazaka quite as much as I thought we were going to. Although we certainly miss him getting forward. But so shout out to Wardy for that. There, um, it's, it's definitely time for a little bit more Jordan Ayew love, and this is something that Terence from the preview show chucked our way. So um, this is a Premier League stat. Jordan Ayew's goals this season have won Crystal Palace 12 points. Only Andy Johnson in 2004-2005, which was 15 points, uh, won more in a single Premier League season for the Eagles. And obviously 10 games still to go. Ayew could very much overtake that. So not only is he scoring decent numbers in terms of goals, seven for a striker in our system is pretty good. Um, and, it, you know, Roy quite rightly called it a large percentage of our goals, which it is. Um, but he's scoring goals in at important times, in important matches. And this goal has to go down as the one that will secure him as a legend. He was a legend in many people's eyes already for what he's done. But a winner away to Brighton, um, it's just a fitting tribute for, for the hard work that he's done this season and the status he now enjoys as a Palace player. An extra credit to him in the post-match interview. He just said, you know, Christian did everything. I just I just finished it. And, and in fairness, the keeper probably should have done better. Um, but it's a, it's a habit that he keeps doing. So um, whether it was lucky, whether it was poor goalkeeping, the fact that he keeps doing it um, and he's got seven, even though he's been playing out, out on the wing, I mean, it, it, it's it's not just luck. That, that was an amazing move. He was excellent from start to finish. His his defensive abilities, his abilities, the ball just sticks to his legs and his feet. It's just unbelievable. But I, you know, you can't believe that. I, you know, I was there on the I think it was second of January last year, singing. We were there when IU scored uh, at Wolves because we thought he'd never score again. And just, you just can never imagine that he'd be the legend that he is now after singing that at, at Molyneux that night. But he's just, you know, he's he's. Quickly going up my my uh, sort of table is one of my favourite players. So according to the Premier League, they tweeted this out. Uh, Jordan I's goals this season have won Palace twelve points. If you yeah, if you just said the thing that I read out earlier, like literally to start this conversation, is that how little you listen to me? Um, maybe. Uh, but <laughs> but here here's my point. Here's my point. So so twelve points, and right now we're sitting on thirty six points. So minus minus twelve, that results in twenty four. And currently in the Premier League, where we would be right now is below Aston Villa, uh, who are 90th and in relegation zone. Now, I mean, someone else, someone else might have scored him goals, you might say, um, some of the, the chances that he had, fair enough. But how I see it, Jordan Ayew this season, as good as Vicente Gaeta has been in goal, he has been as good or even better um, going forward. Without Jordan Ayew this season, God knows where we would be. I mean, them told... Them, them, t- what? Go on. 
No, I was just, I was just, I was just about to agree with you, and absolutely right. It just emphasises just how vital those goals have been. And you know, you're quite right in saying, well, you, you know, it's a what if thing, isn't it? Because if he doesn't score, maybe someone else does. But he's had we some. Miss, you know. It's not only tappings though. That's the thing. But, he's he's got some very good goals. That's why I, I don't think it's easy as saying, oh, someone else great. got him goals. He's got some very good goals, and at two and a half million or three and a half million, whatever it is, could potentially save us hundred million pounds. I mean, no, that, it, you it, have it to is. look at it like that. Look at a bigger picture. That's how I'm looking at it like this. And this season, I don't know who I would vote for at this current stage if, for Player of the Year. Honestly, no, I I can't agree with you more. I'm you know. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with with the importance of of IU and how well he's played this season. Undoubtedly, he's going to be up there in the Player of the Year votes, uh, uh, certainly along with Guaita and, and one or two others as well. But you know, I, I think I think he can even get better as well. He's you know, I think, was he twenty eight something like that. I, th- I think there's more to come from him as that confidence continues to build. And you know, Sai, you talked about the ball sticking to his feet. I mean, you said legs originally, which is a weird image, but certainly right that you corrected it to feet. And um, but it, it is that level of skill, that level of technique that that you know the hard work was always there, but that seems to have come on leaps and bounds. I think it's always been there with him. He's that talented a player, but he seems settled and happy. And this, you know, sometimes we we see it a lot, don't we? At Palace, we have players that join us where it's just the absolute right club for them. And if they go somewhere else, they they never quite do any better or, you know, they're never going to reach the heights that they reach with us. And I think Jordan Ayew is just the perfect type of player for Crystal Palace. It, It just fits everything that we do. To have that work ethic, which always will win over Palace fans. And I think we are, we're not unique in that sense, but it's very much a trait of our fan base and particularly with forward players ever since, you know, AJ came on the scene and just through continuously running at a ridiculous pace and, and you know, no no sh- lack of skill either. But the hard work that he put in, it just set the tone for what we love as a, as a forward player uh, in this kind of modern era. And, and IU just does that. He's, he's, you know, he's brilliant for us. And it's so, I'm so, so happy that he made that turnaround as well. And, you know, as, as, as for the price that we got him for, it, it seems ridiculous now. At the time, there were obviously a few people thinking it was a waste of money and a waste of a squad place and a waste of wages. Those people obviously will be delighted as well. I'm sure that that, that is an incorrect statement. Anyway, let's hear from another listener. This one is Ebo. Hey, back in the nest. Ebo here. Just finished watching the Palace Brighton match. That was a difficult one. Uh, Performance-wise, we weren't great. Again, very deep in midfield. Really let Brighton get at us a lot. And I think they had the better, um, obviously, of the possession. Uh, and at the start, certainly had the better of the chances. Ben take the early miss. But then I think they missed a couple of absolute sitters as well. So it sort of evened itself out. Uh, second half, they were, they were all over us from the off. But then, uh, I don't know, great ball forward. Benteke picks it up, drags three defenders into the, uh, in, into the centre of the uh, box with him and then lays off a lovely pass to IU, who wasn't the greatest finish, but, you know, took his chance and scored. Uh, God, we could have gone on to win that by two or uh, two or three. I mean, that chance at the end there where Tosson sets up, Wilf, Wilf should have just, uh, I, don't know, he, I don't know what he was trying to do, trying to do it with the outside of his boot, but... Didn't really matter in the end. One nil, uh, clean sheet, a win. But the disappointing thing was was just the, the, the big hole in midfield again. The midfield is not getting forward. Um, 
I mean, a lot of that was down to the fact that, that we were a bit worried about fighting it on the break. You know, we weren't going to have the uh, the uh, easy day of it like we did against Newcastle last week. But oh well, one nil, happy days. Come on, you Eagles! And Ebo has done a wonderful job there of wrapping up all the last <laughs> talking points that I had. So, cheers for doing that, mate. Um, time was marching on, so that that makes it a lot easier as well. Um, obviously, a lot we we touched on there, um, and absolutely right. I mean, yeah, okay, we we could talk all day about the midfield, which again, I think the midfield was, was good, but it is noticeable that you know the the opportunities to get forward, should we say, weren't weren't there that often. But as he says. Didn't matter in the end. Happy days. Two wins in a row. Beat Brian at their own ground. Can't say fairer than that. Two very, very quick points of discussion from me uh, before we move on. First up, I just want to, just an observation really, and, and guys obviously chip in if you've got any comments on this, but a lot of attention on refereeing and VAR. And nothing to speak of in my view this week. Nothing at all. It, and it, it felt really good. I, I mean, I'm sure there were a couple of VAR checks, but I didn't really notice them. I didn't have any real problems with anything that the referee did. Yeah, okay, I think there was a one that was given a corner that shouldn't have been, but it was nice not to be focusing on that for once, I think. It felt to me like uh, Brighton had done something similar to Newcastle and were trying to rotate the fouls. Um, and he did he did a sterling effort of, of you know trying to keep 22 men on the pitch, but um, the only thing that got to me was I do feel that a few more of the Brighton players should have been booked. Um, some of the treatment of Wilf was ridiculous and it stunned me that um, it was the uh, the Belens, the sub that they had, that actually was the first one to get booked because, um, you know, they, they, they come in with some pretty ferocious tackling and it's no real wonder that he got angry. I guess that's what happens, Hamber, when you talk to Chris Clark for 45 minutes at a game and actually follow <laughs> the game itself. You forget about the referee. That might be a solution for it. Um, but yeah, overall, considering that it was a derby, I think it was Martin Nagerson that um, was refereeing the game. He seemed like a nice gentleman. Um, and yeah, he, <laughs> <laughs> he's laughing today. Yeah, he seemed like he's a nice, he's a nice person. Like only not only from this game, he just seems like a calm guy. You know, he he doesn't have an ego, so he's one of the better refs. And yeah, I thought he handled it well. And um, unlike some of the games that we saw today in the Premier League, like the Everton game against United, so thankfully we were lucky with that one. Did you forget that it was Martin Atkinson that booked Will for being fouled earlier on in the season and, and booked him what? for diving when he didn't dive? Have you forgotten those? Wait, was that um, Arsenal? Yeah. yeah. What, yeah, oh, no, he's was, a, yeah, oh. Arsenal, Arsenal, and Watford, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's not let's not get yeah, focused it, on that. Yeah. I was giving him some praise, um, but I still hate him. <laughs> so there you go. He's a gentleman still. He, oh, you call him? He's still a gentleman, is he? Nice, calm gentleman, as yeah, you put it. As a ref. Interesting, interesting comment. Um, so I suppose let's talk about the Zaha Skeleto incident before we move on as well. We've kind of hinted at it, talked about it a little bit, but, um. <laughs> You know, the first thing I want to address, I suppose, is the you know people accusing Zaha of spitting. Now he did spit, like a lot of footballers do. So first of all, you got people claiming he was spitting at at the player, which he wasn't. He was, you know, and it was he was spitting in the direction of the crowd. Well, yeah, there was a the crowd were in that direction, and it was at a point where they were giving him stick. But I don't really understand what they're talking about. You know, you. 
apparently it's a red card offence to spit on the floor near near a crowd that's abusing you. So um, yeah, don't really understand that. Um, and as for the the incident itself, you know they're they're hero worshipping him. Um, it's I mean I suppose it's just all part of part of the fun, isn't it? Part of the I don't see it as a major thing. It was funny that he got booked. Probably shouldn't have been, and I wouldn't have been surprised if if Zaha had been booked as well. To be honest with you, but but he wasn't. But and that's all I really think about it is is sort of nothing really. It's part of part of the passion of a of a derby game. Uh, if if a forty something gammon wants to uh, say he spat um, because whoever said it has never run in their lives and realised you have to spit when you've lost your breath. I mean, the, the the only thing that bothered me about spitting yesterday was when we were all waiting on the, we were all waiting for a train. Um, we'd been kettled off. All the Palace fans are waiting for a train and there was a Brighton fan spitting on us from above. Um, he got cuffed and took away by three policemen. That's the main spitting incident I remember. And he, he, des- he deserved everything that he gets. Hopefully yeah. it, Hopefully, uh, it got more than what we saw. Um, the only other thing I want to bring up um, from what people have said about Zahar, Keith Powell uh, this morning said, another poor performance from Zahar. It's a regular thing now. His value must be dropping. Um, I can't... I'm not sure. I was watching the same game as you, Keith. Sorry, I, I don't get it. Um, he, he, he missed that chance and hit the post but I think it was mainly Tosin's fault for knocking him the ball too far I thought it was harder than Soli March's chance other than that I thought he was amazing He's not the only one though um, I've seen that on Twitter um, after the game there have been people saying Zaha wasn't really at it and thinking about it I mean it's it's a bit of a weird one of course, I feel like he could have done better, but the circumstances don't help him as well, really. Um, the fact that there's other distractions, which he needs to get over. Um, that substitute, as as much as, you know, as funny it is, he shouldn't really let things like that bother him. Um, but I feel like people, are, because it's, it's against Brian and they hate him so much, I feel like Brian fans and even Palace fans are expecting much more from him in terms of contribution, creating more chances and stuff. But if you actually look at the way that we play, we just we just, we can't really create chances because we everyone pretty much has a lack of limited role going forward. So I feel like that contributed. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that he had a particularly great game, maybe average at best. I thought he got better as the um, abuse from the crowd grow, grew, and he, it, that often is the case. And Martin Keown, I mentioned him again. I'm not obsessed with him, but he did he did say actually he tends to get better when there is more abuse directed towards him. I, you can't doubt his passion for being at the club, though. When you saw him celebrate when we scored that goal, and you could hear him, you could hear him on the TV in terms of what he was saying to the uh, home family, which is quite amusing. But no, I, I think he had a decent enough game. But again, there's always two or three players on him, so it's always difficult for him. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and I totally agree about the, uh, the passion of him screaming at <laughs> What? What? At the fan. I love that. Um, but, you know, he, you know, of all the players, they, they all understand that, that, that that's a rivalry. But, you know, Wilf is one of those players who really gets it. You know, because of the hate that he gets, you know it's, it's returned. And it, he loves nothing more than us beating Brighton and he loves nothing more than it being down to him as well um, I mean look to go back and address Keith's point I think it just comes down to expectation again doesn't it you know Wilf sets a very very high line in terms of what he's capable of um, but as you've kind of said it, th- there's so many variables in how the game will go for him 
because you know after he's, he's been around that long now that every club has a long list of things that they know that they can do that will nullify him so obviously multiple people marking and him marking him rotational fouling winding him up you know even from the sidelines it seems that that's now acceptable uh, and you know the the home crowd or the away crowd depending where we're playing also know that you know sometimes if they can get on his back it will it will make him emotional either angry or you know lose a bit of focus and that can affect his play as well but he's just a sensational footballer and you, you we are a weaker team with him not in it it almost no matter how he's playing i don't think that we can do a lot else um you know we, we play through him all the time, just all the time. So the expectations there for him to beat several players just consistently throughout the course of a game. And, you know, anyone who, if you want, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, be offensive or anything like that. I, you know, and I know Keith a little bit and, you know, he's watched more games than probably all of us put together. He knows his, his stuff and it, it'll just be down to, again, Keith's expectation of what he knows that Wilfred is capable of. But I think we're it's, you know, it's just one variable form. You know, there's there's so many more to it, and for me, will it's undroppable, just undroppable. I I just want to add to that that um, if we go back to the Benteke thing, I think because we played through Benteke so much yesterday, it brought out more in Zaha because um, he wasn't expected to do something out of nowhere. Um, you know. Benteke had already held the ball up to the point where um, Zaha had more space than usual. So if, if that's a deliberate tactic and it continues, I think he's going to have a, a decent last 10 games. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And it's a little bit of Q&A time. We've taken some of your questions as we've gone through the review, but there's a few more left. So over to you, Mike. As ever, we had plenty of uh, feedback. So thank you very much. We read them all. We comment on them all um, and we add in as many as we possibly can. Um, so Sacadinho has said, uh, does Gyro now deserve a run in the team in midfield? I think we've discussed that um, enough. And uh, the answer from DR was, uh, was a big old yes. Um, so I'm sure we'll get into that more if he gets another chance. But let's go to a red and blue Dave. After yesterday, is Cahill the man for the captaincy full-time? What do you think? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because, I mean, you, you don't really change club captain through the course of a, a season. It's very rare unless like a new manager comes in or there's some kind of a disciplinary issue or something like that. Um, I think the natural way that that would happen, and, and I believe Tompkins is actually vice-captain as well, so if, if he's playing. So you'd have to have Luca and Tompkins not playing either through injury or form and Cahill will be the captain. Um, but in answer to the question... 
personally no because I, I think sometimes the armband gets overstated because you know many footballers we've interviewed on this show and it's various in, <laughs> incarnations will all tell you that yes there's a captain but there's you know there's leaders throughout the dressing room so you know Gary Cahill will be another captain no matter what he's not gonna think oh, Lucas Lucas a captain I better not say anything he's gonna say his piece he's gonna motivate the players around him and the more leaders you have the better so for, for me I don't think it's that big of an issue because I don't think the armband is is that important in the context of what you see out on the pitch uh, and I think from what everyone, all the players say, Luke is a, a very good club captain in terms of everything that goes on away from the pitch. So I don't think it's that big of an issue personally. I'm not sure if anyone else thinks anything else. He's a natural leader. Yeah, that's what that matters. You can see on the pitch, he's he's vocal. Other players listen to him. They have respect. I don't think captaincy really needs to be changed. I think it can cause more of a stir. There's no there's no need for it. Cahill's doing his job well. He doesn't need an armband to continue doing it. He's just a natural leader. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought Cahill could give a toss whether he's the captain or not. Um, as you say, it might rock the boat a bit if Luca found out that he wasn't. Um, so let's go on to Sam Winner. Sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, Sam. Uh, we've barely mentioned him today, despite the fact that he was apparently player of the game on who scored. Felt Guaita had another outstanding game and ever so reliable. Should he be leading the player of the year this season for us or should it be IU? What do you think? Well, DR's already mentioned it, so why don't you uh, just re- revisit that for us, DR? You talked about your your choice. Yeah. Is it just those two? Uh, yeah, it is those two for this season, if we're looking at player of the year. Um, I said that I can't really make a decision, but, I mean, 20 minutes later, I think I can slightly... If, if I have to pick right now and I have to pick one player out of them two, because I do think it's only them two, um, I think it has... To, oh, <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> I think you were it, confident. Yeah, exactly. I was so confident until I was like, "Am I going to do?" It? I think it has to be Vicente. But then, I say it, I'm like, Jordan I's goals have legit saved us from relegation. But Vicente saves have saved us. It's so hard. But I'm just going to give it Vicente just by one, not point one percent. That's how tight it is. Yeah, I have to agree with DR. There is no other choice for me other than Vicente. He has been, throughout a doubt, um, player of the season, consistent, and has saved us. And actually, I think generally, if it wasn't for him, we probably would have been relegated. Yeah, I think you know he's just emphasised something that we talked about a lot on this show and various people got upset about it at times. Um, but it just shows the value of, of that extra bit of class in the, you know, in the goalkeeping position. You know, obviously, I'm, I'm referring to, to Hennessy and you know, for all that's gone on with, with Hennessy, he, he's a decent keeper, you know, an international keeper. But when you look at the the level of save that Guaita pulls off on a regular basis and the confidence that he exudes with the team, that's that little step up. You've got perfectly competent, good players. But when you're talking about trying to move up the league and, and go on to that next level, having a next level player who's just got that little bit of extra, little bit extra that little bit of, Oh, I nearly said, well, I'm going to have to say X Factor now. It's the only thing I can think of. But you know what I mean? It's like he has that bit extra that we that we were missing in terms of the goalkeeper position since, you know, obviously Jules, uh, Jules up and left. And, you know, let's face it, Jules is an absolute legend. But, you know, I think if you're talking about a Premier League quality goalkeeper, you've got to say Guaita's probably a better keeper than Jules. Did I just say that out loud? I did. Ooh. 
Let's see if anyone argues with me. But um, I'm not. I'm not here for arguments. It's a good day. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right. All right. Okay, well, well, we'll leave that there. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say about Goita was there was someone singing the Goita song yesterday uh, to the wrong melody, uh, which was one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. Um, so let's just uh, finish the um, the feedback from people with Charles Meyer. Um, now that we have almost certainly achieved survival, um, Hodgson said as much, with that victory, do you think Roy should start playing Meyer in Townsend in an effort to really go for victories and perhaps perhaps push up the table. I, mean, I don't think he will. Um, but I do think that there will be a chance that he will slightly t- sort of take the shackles off. He won't, I, I promise you, I don't, and I think he's right as well to not do it until there's a much, bit of a higher degree of certainty. But I think over the coming weeks and, you know, maybe, you know, in, in some of the games that are a bit more of a, a free hit later on, I think we might see a little, a little bit of change of ambition. Um, um, and and possibly rotation of the squad, giving people an opportunity to, you know, being being cynical about it at times, maybe putting a couple of players in the shop window as well. Um, you know, I think Tosin will get some more minutes for sure, um, and, and you know, probably Max will get a bit of game time, and, and I hope Andros as well. But you know, and that's that's what you need to do. But I don't think it will come now. I think you know, if we if we pick up another win, then I think Roy will take those shackles off, and he's shown us that he will do that before. You know, if you go back to the the Bournemouth game, um, and what an incredible game that was at the end of last season. Um, I don't think he necessarily enjoyed it, <laughs> but um, but I think he's 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 much more relaxed and able to do that. But I guess he, he's also an old school manager who will respect the competition as well. So we'll see. I have to agree with Chris, and I think you know Hodgson's got one mind, uh, one aim in his mind, and that's to get to the safety line. And we saw it last year, and I think we'll see it again once we've got to that point. I think he will play a lot more of a um, less restrictive and more expansive outlook on games. So we'd have to wait till we get to that point. But he's shown he can do it before, and I think he'll do it again. Okay, so let's just round up with some final chat about, well, I suppose we'll call them events at the game. That's that's what Mike's to- uh, titled it in the topics. Uh, before I do, just a quick reminder, check out our sponsor, Pitch Sport Football. Uh, go to the website, download the app, get involved on that. Um, so there's all sorts going on as they're as they're ramping up their launch and um, do check out their podcast as well. It's uh, it's some great content and as I say, John Salarco is a regular on there and he loves a bit of Palace chat as well. Which is um, so you um, you can contact the guys and get in touch with them and start making your own contributions to what they do as well. I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it. But we can't really go talk about the the, the day and the, the game events without a quick chat about Chris Clark. Um, so we, we put a poll up, which disappointed me, and we'll get to the result of that in a second. But so after the game, we um, obviously get kept in, as as any of you will know, uh, who's, who go away regularly, particularly at uh, games against your rivals. Um, so we got kept in, was it something like 25 minutes or something like that? And they carry on serving at the bar. So after a little while, crowd starts dispersing. We get start walking up, and um, there's a pretty hefty queue. So... We turn around and head back to the the bar, but unfortunately, the bar's closing, isn't it, Mike? The bar's just closing, and then calm, respectful young man Chris Clark 
He gets a beer rage, a proper beer rage. He's rowing with the supervisor at the bar. He can't, he can't get his drink, and he's absolutely livid. And I, I promise you, he couldn't calm down. And it's one of those things. I'm not very helpful in those situations because I find it really funny, and I, and I, and I kept winding him up. But incredibly, um, and I think Luke, uh, Luke Chester put the poll out for us. Cheers, Luke. Shout out to Luke. Um, but incredibly, you backed him for being angry. Because they they closed the bar thirty eight seconds early, and and you you out there in listener world backed Chris Clark. I was, it's incredible, Mike. Incredible stuff. Yeah, I'm not that surprised by the result, um, but let's put it in context. Um, him and Luke uh, got the train down and had three uh, cans of whatever horrible lemon infused IPA that they they <laughs> drink. Um, we then we then met in Weatherspoons in North Street to to get some breakfast. Um, we had a couple more there. Then we'd had a couple at the ground. So it, it wasn't like he was thirsty. Um, and we were about to go off to Brighton to do some more drinking. So I do feel it was a slight overreaction. But uh, unsurprisingly, it was some 60-odd percent of people reckoned that uh, he wasn't being out of order. I think I found it that funny because we'd just beaten Brighton and he was red with rage. <laughs> You're just like, come on, mate. You know, I'm going to miss this. I know you'd already scarpered off to get your train, um, but yeah, oh dear, it, and I and I promise you, he's still angry now. Um, but it was it was incredible scenes. But um, yeah, well done, Chris, for a, a hugely amusing moment um, on our on our day out. So we've talked about the the atmosphere and, and and the nerves and all that kind of stuff earlier on. But let's have a little chat, a little chat about what I've determined is called Flaregate. and this just sums up the kind of support that Brighton are. So you know, a smoke bomb goes off uh there was also one of those flares that sort of sp- sparked all the lights and stuff like that and you know and, and brighton fans are absolutely up in arms about it so you know first of all they let flares off at sellers the last couple of times they visited so apparently it's all right for them but not, not for us apparently our supporters are are human garbage for for letting off but you know it's a football match why are people why are people trying to sanitize football you know I, you know, I don't want to go down too in deeper route here, but you know, there's a culture in football, and you've, you know, you should try to protect that, and and you know, otherwise it it doesn't carry on being football, it doesn't carry on being the game that it is for the people that it's for, and to see them up in arms about it, I mean, yeah, okay, it's laughable, and you can you can read their comments and laugh at them, and but it actually makes me sad, <laughs> you know, even though I hate them all because they're Brighton fans, it makes me sad that they go to a football match and they think like that. And they actually think that they're right. And they actually think that, that you know, an atmosphere and visuals and, you know, a, a proper Derby game, that that's wrong. It, it baffles me. This is the same people that sing uh, we're all having a party when Wilfred Zaha dies. Uh, so slight double standard. Um, but yeah, from my point of view, um, amazing support, ridiculous limbs when we scored and huge props to the HF because, um, you know, they led the singing um, in a not particularly acoustically easy grounds to, uh, to, to to have a, a, a tune sung right around. Um, I think we did a great As job. As a man who just went to Fenerbahce versus Galatasaray game, Seeing Brighton fans <laughs> complain about flares is just hilarious. When uh, if we had the same treatment as Galatasaray at that game, right, we would have had speakers in front of us so that the home team can't hear us. We would have been kept in the stadium for a good two, three hours, and they would have shut the light at us when it was dark. 
but yet, oh, if a flare is a problem, if, if it's a flare, geez, you acted like we threw flares at like at Brighton fans, nothing happened. Like there's, there's, it's crazy. It's it's just crazy. Just listening to people complain about flares as as a fan who has watched Turkish football before. I don't know. The culture is of course different, but it it hasn't harmed anyone. It's not like no one died or no one got anyone got coronavirus from a flare. It doesn't spread <laughs> virus. It just it just smoke. Yeah, I mean everything's on fire in Turkish football all the time, isn't it? So it's not. It's you know, it's a, it's a totally different thing. What was that? Is, it, I just said, you know, every foot, a Turkish football match, pretty much everything's on fire all the time. It's fine. Nah, it's not as bad as it was back in the day. It's better, back in but... the day. How old are you? Come on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I've been going. I've been going to see Fenerbahce for a good like ten plus years now. So yeah, it's different. Yeah, okay. Good stuff. Anyway, um, and you made them lose for the first time in how many years? And I'm banned as well. Once again, apparently. Are you? Yeah, because mm. you need a special card and you get banned. Wow. Wow. Well, there you go, rebel you are. No, um, so that's that. That will do, I think, in terms of of the events. Mike, did you make a quiz this week? I did, and it's to mark the fact that Hodgson uh, just had his hundredth Premier League game as a Palace manager. Oh f- fuck it, so let's do a quiz. Hod- Hodgson themed, yeah. Um, it's going to be a little bit harder because there's three of you. Um, I didn't think about that, but um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll give it a go. So, yeah, 100, I mean, it's not his 100th game. It's his 100th Premier League game. Um, and that's that's mostly come from the fact that the Premier League like to think that they're the only important competition. It's actually his 113th, I think. But uh, let's ignore that for a minute. So, in his time as manager, the side have only lost by four goals or more on three occasions. Um, so, can you remember what those three games were, who they were against? Man City. Open that to everyone. Um, well, yeah. DR said Man City. I'm going to say Man United. Ah, I was going to say Man United. So you even put your hand up, but I didn't, uh, just didn't wait. Uh, Have we lost? So, Sai, you need the third one. Four goals or more. Oh, God. Under mm. Hodgson, that's weird. Who was it? It was this season and it was Spurs. Oh, oh yeah. Course, yeah. Put it out of our mind. But it, interestingly, the, 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 the two that you named, uh, United and City, um, were in the first three games in cho- he was in charge. So in the last 97 games, um, he's only conceded four, lost by four on one occasion, which is for England. <laughs> So, a simple question, um, so who gets closest to it. Out of his hundreds uh, league games in charge, how many of those have been victories? Okay, I'll start, and I'm going to go with 34. Okay, DR? Uh, 32. I think think me and Chris are related, because I was going to say 34 as well. Um, I'm going (laughs) to go for uh, 36. You should have stuck with 34. Dead on. Really? Dead on. I'm impressed with myself. (laughs) Yeah. And and this is is an interesting start as well. Um, Out of those 100 games, how many of them were clean sheets? 99. I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wow. Um, Should we do it in the same order or do we want to go different order? I mean, let's sweep. You you go first. Do I have to go first? How many were clean sheets in 100 games? Um, I'm going to go with 34. <laughs> 39. 30. 
See, what you've all done here is you've buggered it up. Because I, I, I was really impressed that it's 29 games out of 100 that he's kept a clean sheet. And you've totally ruined it by all guessing a higher number than that. But yes, 29 of the games um, he managed to keep a clean sheet, which is pretty damn impressive. Um, I think especially when he inherited a side that had, were hemorrhaging goals. Uh, the last, the last uh, question. So... Him and Dougie Friedman have almost identical win ratios um, across all competitions, 35 and a half, so marginally higher than his Premier League record. Um, but just tell me whether these uh, these managers have a higher or lower win rate. So first of all, Big Sam. Higher. I'm going to go higher as well. Um, go higher as yep. well. Okay. How, roughly how much do you think higher? Do you want to guess a number on what percentage his win rate was? Yeah, pretty much 37.5. So marginally higher, although uh, obviously a lot less games because he just decided to up and fuck off from the club. So, um, Tony Poulis, high or low? Lower. I I, I actually... Sorry, you've, you've gone higher, side, si, have you? Yeah. Because uh, yeah. I think you're... I think, I think you're probably... Oh, it's going to be tight now. It's going to be tight because I reckon... I reckon maybe the Brighton game has just tip, tipped him over. Expectations have changed. I remember on the Pulis, we probably got the points, but it's wins, actually. Yeah. No, he, he got a fair few wins as well. I'm going to go higher. I'm going lower. Well, um, it's it's higher. It's considerably higher, and it's the highest percentage win rate out of um, managers that have been there for a while in a long time. 42.86% will win. There you go. Um, but again, on, on you know a much higher amount. Ian Holloway. Lower. Yeah, lower. Lower. Yeah, he, he ruined it. Um, <laughs> he's three, three points out of the first 10 games in the Premier League season. Um, obviously, he was still an amazing manager for us. Uh, got us up, but only 30.43. Uh, and finally, perhaps the most difficult one, Ian Dowie. Oh, now, I think... I think fractionally higher. Yeah, I, I, same. Higher. Yeah, in fact, quite considerably mm-hmm. higher, 40.65. Oh, you're right. No, you did have a good Impressive yeah, stuff from yeah. <laughs> me and David. So that is my quiz of the week, Hodgson thing. Oh, well, well done. Well, and well done for coping with the extra people, a person, whatever. Well, I was crap. Um, yeah, well, you know. We didn't really keep track of scores or anything. You just like no, no. freestyle. I mean, we had, to, we had to rattle through that pretty quickly. And Mike did a really it's good job. It's about the taking part anyway. Yeah, at least we tried. Well, I hope you did well at home. And um, yeah, let us know. Just, well, let Mike specifically know. Tweet us back of the nest.com. <laughs> you said tweet us back of the nest.com, did you? Yeah, I sound like you. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Anyway, I think that is a, a surefire signal. It's time to end the show and let Sam get on with attempting to edit what the hell we've done. Um, thank you very much indeed to Sam for producing, Mike, Sai, and DR for being the panel. Thank you for listening. Make sure you check out Love Sport. Uh, my assume is still happening. <laughs> is it Wednesday 8 or not? Yes, I believe so. Uh, and so you do check that out. And of course, the preview show will be following later in the week as well. Download, subscribe, rate five stars, all those things. Uh, thank you very much to everyone who got in touch and all that kind of business throughout the course of the week. And we'll be back again soon. Cheerio. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. 
Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.